Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. Jude Blaireau has been living a whole food life long before whole food was a buzzword for healthy living and has been actively involved in the whole food movement for over 25 years. Jude has a deep interest in affecting change in how we as a society grow, produce, relate to and eat food. She is a passionate advocate for sustainable and ethical farming practices, artisanal skills and knowledge and supporting our local farmers. Born in the 1950s to a mother of Italian descent, food has always been a major part of her life. Jude is a whole and natural foods chef, award-winning author of five books, speaker and cooking teacher. All of her books are a discussion on and guide to nourishing wisdoms and then how we translate that into delicious meals as a part of everyday life with less stress even on the busiest days days. So Jude, welcome. It's a delight to have you here today. Amy, it's so lovely to be here with you and hello to each and every one of you listening as well. Lovely to be here. Jude, I would really love it if you would share with us a bit of your story, perhaps from your childhood and those influences that that essentially have brought you to doing this work and yeah, landing here on this beautiful journey. Oh, gosh. That's actually a really interesting question, Amy, Um, because there's actually a lot of context. There's a lot of issues going on in that question. And I think one of the things that I kind of want to just, like, shout out but right now is when we're recording this is that we are right in the belly of the COVID-19 situation. And just saying that gives me a little shiver up my spine. But the thing about this is, is that all of my work that I've done, oh, God, I think it must be for about over 30 years now. Um, It's probably that 25 years, probably a little bit outdated now, but... Everything I have been doing has been saying, guys, we have got to take a hardcore look at how we're living in our society because basically what we've been doing for the last 30 years is adapting, is enforcing humans to adapt to societal paradigms, ideologies, whatever, instead of technology and society adapting to who we are as humans. And it's been blindingly obvious for at least the last 20 years or even when I started out in the last 30 years that it it was not sustainable, it was not working and that things were going to end badly. And it's got much worse over the last eight years as the whole food industry has become highly fractionalised And when this whole thing happened, it was like, I'm like, ah, okay, this is how the energy is going to balance itself out. Um, Anyway, so to get back to that, part of why, 
part of why we've ended up where we are, and I'm, I'm not talking about, yeah, this is a novel virus. There's no, there's no dispute about that. You know, it's, it's a novel virus and humans have had no exposure or understanding of it, you know, the human DNA or anything. But one of the reasons why people have been so all over the place the last few years, and I teach and speak to hundreds of thousands of people all the time, and they're all so confused about what wholesome and healthy eating is. They're over it. They're freaked out. They're guilty about everything. That they're afraid of everything they eat. And basically, this is where I think the core part of my work is, and it's like, that my feeling is that, that what we're seeing in Australia and in the United States, particularly these highly westernised countries, uh, and England to a degree, but not as much, is this massive loss of food culture. So when you say to me, you know, how did I start and tell you about my childhood? And basically, I grew up in an era when food culture was intact. And I'm incredibly lucky to have had that, to have that opportunity. So what food culture is, food culture is, um, it's our entire understandings of how you grow, produce, crop, harvest, store, prepare, produce and eat food. Yeah, it's everything to do with food on a really simplistic level. It might be something like don't eat that red berry, that'll kill you. Yeah. Um, don't go swimming after you've eaten, you need to let your tummy digest. Or it might be when I was growing up, my mother saying to me, no, you can't have a piece of toast for breakfast. That's not a proper breakfast. You need an egg for breakfast because that's brain food. Now, my mum wasn't saying to me, that toast is, it was fairly unrefined wheat back then, but, you know, that, that has a different metabolic pathway. It's not going to keep you going that long, whereas egg has a high fat level and a high protein level, and those fats, are particularly the omega-3, fully converted, which I think is a really critical factor, uh, long, you know, the, that omega-3, that alpha-linolenic acid, it's fully converted into the things that are really essential, which are the EPA and the DHA, DHA, which is critical for brain function. She didn't say all that, but you knew it and you took it on, yeah? And you know, how to cook food, we grew food in the back garden, um, Food was local because there was no other option, particularly in Perth, because I can tell you right exactly like now, it's a good place to be in WA with a whole staggering nullable plane between us. And it's really been a bonus for us right now during this um, um, pandemic. But back then, you we ate very locally, very seasonally, if we ate anything out of season, it was because it was preserved in some way, shape or form. Um, we grew some food. If we had chicken, which wasn't a lot, my dad killed it in the backyard. We had eggs from the backyard. Food was grown probably about five kilometres down the road on the Swan River Flats, which in every country around the world, food used to be, but is generally not now grown uh, closer to the city, uh, but now we have transport and storage and all that kind of stuff. So 
in the past, food culture has been passed down by uh, the government. So a good example of that would be the, the school programs that they run, uh, that we had milk every day at school. Um, and back in the day when I was at school, it was raw milk. Um, in the United States and England, that included lunches were provided to children. Now, yes, I know that they're crap now, but nonetheless, the underlying um, um, ideology of it was absolutely that you have to nourish children. Uh, and it was the context in which they ate. Um, it was passed down by, the, by religion. And so I grew up a Catholic and it was very much that part of religion which was um, a real gratitude and understanding of what a miracle food was. You know, like, God, thank you for the sun and the rain and the food we eat. And it was just a real understanding of that, that food was not something that you took for granted and that it was sacred. There was a real sacredness to food. Um, and even at home, outside of the church, there was for me as well. And then it's also passed down in the family. So, for example, um, I'm probably rambling here. If I'm rambling, you just tell me. <laughs> but it was also so in the family, it's passed down through your aunts, your uncles, in the home. You know, like, for example, I learned to cook mostly watching mum. I had to cook family meal by the time I was 13. Um, and that was very normal. We all had to help out. Um, we ate at the table every night. Um, my dad was always home for dinner. Like he didn't, and when he was home, he didn't have digital applications. He was home. He was home on the weekends. We did things as a family on the weekends. We had Sunday lunch on the weekends where, you know, we'd invite extended family. And there's a lot of things going in that. So that's all gone pretty much. And it's been all gone since about the, as women's liberation movement, and that's another whole fascinating conversation. But it's that, it started happening about, um, having a bit of a yawn here, <laughs> um, started happening about, in, in Australia, you really began to see the ramifications in the late 70s, early 80s. And pretty much basically what you see in a demographic these days of anybody probably under about 48, but particularly 45, is that they have very little, if any, um, experience of growing up in a home where the mum was cooking, yeah? Or, or they weren't all running around like mad people or, you know, like each, they just all eat whenever they could, food came out of cans or things like that. Um, now, I'm not saying all that demographic, but a very large percentage of that demographic. And so you started to see food culture really decline, as it has in all Western countries, and where you still see it very strongly around the world, um, and particularly in Western countries, is in the ethnic cultures. You know, the Indians, Asians, Chinese, Japanese, uh, their, their food cultures are still very strong. Um, so... Yeah, I was very lucky to grow up in that time. So that was my childhood. And I always love to say I'm shocked that myself and my younger sister and most of my friends that I know survived without having a ubiquitous fruit platter every day. Or well, God forbid that we all, apart from a tiny, tiny 
tiny few people that might have true celiac disease, but we all ate wheat and oat. We ate lamb. We had beef. I'm not a big beef girl, but we did. Um, and, you know, we had legumes as well. We had a good balanced whole food diet, basically. But in winter, it's like, you know, we when apples were gone, they were gone. When pears were gone, they were gone. You know, there wasn't anything else, you know, and we didn't have kale every day and we actually ate salads. We didn't blend them up in a smoothie and drink them and we survived without nuts, which is another mystery as to how I possibly could have survived without nuts, but we did and we thrived, yeah? So the more that I've worked so it would be very fair to say that when I got into this area of work and I've always loved food and I've always loved the aspect of healing and I was really I actually started out as a kindergarten teacher uh, and then I um, and I studied in Melbourne in Kew uh, and I then um, ended up in the fashion industry. I was a fashion designer and had my own label for a few years and I was studying nutrition part-time because I, lo you know, I loved food and I loved healing and health. Um, but I was so disillusioned with that. And about that time in 1986, I went to the US and I remember landing in New Orleans and like the second day I was there and I was in a bookshop and Amory Colvin's book, Food and healing like fell out at my feet, I kid you not. And I'm like, yep, that, that was the first thing that made sense to me and I knew what I wanted to do is not cook in a cafe or something like that but combine the two and really help people translate. I think that's so critical is translate what you're hearing into what you're actually eating because and, and to be able to do it so it's delicious and it's appropriate and it's body compatible because cooking is a learned skill and so few people have that skill. So long rambling answer to you, but um, um, that's how I got into it. And look, fundamentally too, I'm just a Sagittarian who's on a mission, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know us Sagittarians, we're like on a mission. <laughs> oh, I always love a little bit of astrology woven into some life purpose. Always been a big astrology <laughs> nun. And, you know, it, my husband and I, we've had a conversation just going back a little bit uh, about seasonal eating because he he's actually from Canada and he is in his 40s and he distinctly remembers he's like strawberries it was such a treat to get strawberries there was a tiny window that we could get them and that was it and same yep. with citrus and so forth and he grew up yep. living like that and of course his grandparents you know had all their food in the backyard and and whatnot um and I suppose because they certainly have greater extremes in somewhere like Canada you really would notice that well would have back then uh but I I personally was blessed in our household my mum cooked almost all of our meals and we still had dinner around the table and I remember being quite rebellious and wanting to just go and sit and eat my dinner in front of the tv and they yeah. were very adamant about that and I think that's been so instilled in me now that I'm a mother uh I I almost, I almost feel mm, borderline guilty when I'm not cooking and I go and get something from somewhere else because uh, <laughs> I, I really, but I really want to, uh, yeah, I, I guess, teach that. So our little boy, part of his play is being in the kitchen with me and I let him get hands on and I let him make yeah. the mess and be a part of it. And it's, it's such a, um, 
enriching and rewarding experience and that takes away also the battle of you know trying to have a child occupied while you're trying to get things done but instead bring them together in harmony and I'm just so true a huge advocate for Ayurveda and we um really try to instill a lot of Ayurvedic principles into also how we you know I love Ayurveda (laughs) <laughs> well, yes, and I wanted to ask you about that. So um, I, w- I guess I would love for you to share a bit about your thoughts on seasonal eating, not just what's available at the farmer's market, but being very intuitive to, you know, the season of the day even and the, and the moment and, and that relationship to digestion. And, yeah, I, I would love to know your thoughts on that. Seasonality is just critical, Amy. It's And, and I don't think people really understand what seasonality is. It's really interesting because in my online class, Get Organised, which – is is about probably more about how to bring whole food principles into a busy week. So yeah, meal planning is is one of those those keystones. But I go into a lot of depth in seasonality, and actually, and we've just been talking about it a bit in the class I'm running now, Revive, Restore, Reset. And the thing is, we have become immune to the actual seasons. And the thing about seasons is that that foods, well, look, let put it basically, everything, animal, plants, they all like a particular thing. Like some plants like it hot, some like it cold, some like it in between, some like it wet, some like it dry, some like it in between, some like it humid. It, it's like some like longer daylight hours, some like less daylight hours. And so... Plants actually have quite limited growing times. And when they crop, they crop. It's like they don't just hang around for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Well, some might, like, you know, and you pick things off as they go, but ultimately they'll finish. Things like apples and pears and most fruit, when that tree is ripe, it is ripe and you pick them all, that's it. And unless you, as a grower, have got a range of of fruits that crop or or ripen at different times, once that tree is picked, it's picked. It's like apples, a good grower these days will try and have a variety of apples that crop at different times. But even still, even organic farmers still so much has been dulled by storage. Like you can pick organic apples and because they'll all crop pretty much on that tree at the same time, which is within a week or within two weeks at the most, and the rest will go into a cool room. Apple season will finish in Perth or wherever you are, but particularly in Perth because that's the one I know best, it'll probably finish in about probably four weeks' time, yeah, and all the apples are cropping now. The Granny Smith's will never be as good as they are last week and in the next week, okay? That's the absolute best. Now, if you live in a warmer climb, then you may have already had those apples crop. If you live in a colder climb, then those apples might not have started to crop yet. It depends. And what happens is these seasons get dulled by number one, foods going into storage and being pulled out all the time. And number two, apples. So let's say in Perth, when the apples are finished cropping in the hills, they'll start coming from down south, yeah, as, as, as the weather moves, yeah. 
And, um, and so we get to thinking that these things are available all year round, or even if we don't think that, oh, excuse me, that they're only available, that they're available for longer than we actually think that they are thanks to storage and, and transport. And that's just simply not the case. It's, it's just not the case. If you don't have those abilities for storage and transport, then what you begin to notice very rapidly is that if you don't go and buy your peaches in that period of two weeks where I am, they're gone or they're not worth having. Yeah. So this is seasonality. It's about, and it's about where you live. It's about locality. And of course, the thing about where you live is that the closer your food is to harvest, the more nourishment, the more life force it's going to have in it. Yeah, so uh, strawberries in Perth, it's interesting that you talk about strawberries. Strawberries in Perth have a long season because strawberries like warmth and it's certainly warm here. Um, but the non-organic, heavily sprayed, synthetic pesticide strawberries were pretty much all year round. But the organic strawberry season pretty much is from about December through to the end of January. Yeah, that's it. They're done. Blueberries, you know, like a bit earlier, but things, everything has a season. Every fruit and vegetable and animal has a season. And, and they're a lot shorter than people really realise. And there's so much delight. So exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and not every place can grow everything. It's like, you know, cherries are a treat for me. Uh, a real treat because it's just we don't grow a lot of cherries here. In fact, they only grow down south where there is some degree of coolness, and even then, they're nothing like the cherries that I've had in in um, Tasmania. You know, they just taste entirely different. There's something quite magical about, uh, particularly with, I think, fruit seasonal awareness because it it imprints. Uh, memories and associations like I always get excited at Christmas because it reminds me of cherries and lychees and you know the joy in that that just yeah it brings so much delight into the seasons and times of year there's a really beautiful um I'm just thinking I've actually got the computer resting on it but since we're not doing video I can actually get it out actually there's a really lovely thing in in I love Alice Waters but in her Green Kitchen Manifesto, she has cooking and shopping for food brings rhythm and meaning to our life. And I think that what I'd like to say in that is that eating seasonally brings rhythm and meaning to our life, yeah? It really it really connects you much more deeply to nature, um, which is kind of where we start, can start talking about Ayurveda because Ayurveda is very much about nature and being aware of the elemental forces of nature. I love Ayurveda. I'm not a groupie. I'm not much of a cult person of anything really, but I have to tell you that over 30 years and doing a lot of food coaching with clients, I can tell you that it's, all, it's what I always see at play and honestly I've got a huge respect for it, huge. And... and Apart from working, I'm always, you know, like include my core whole food principles into my life, but I'm also including my core um, requirements Ayurvedically for myself as well. 
because it's just this night and day difference, you know. Mm. And Ayurveda is not really a fad or a diet in itself. It's certainly no. a lifestyle and it's been around for thousands of years and the application yep. can be implemented no matter where you are in the world and what fruit and vegetables and produce produce you have access to. It's yep. just about the principles of seasonal eating and your capacity to digest, which in itself has a direct relationship to eating in season and how we exactly. cook and prepare and preserve food. Exactly. On that note, what, what in your opinion, what do you think are probably um, – or would be the the biggest misconception or misunderstanding about sort of these diets and these fads like paleo and you know going gluten free and vegan and and whatnot. I think that is a fabulous question, and and I think it has to be addressed. I think that my summation of it is that when you are untethered from food culture. And you've got nothing that to um, uh, position yourself on a compass, so to speak. Then you are incredibly vulnerable when you're disconnected. You know, it's like if you want to cause problems to people, you separate them. Yeah. If you want to create, I can't think of the right word, but if you want to make something less strong, you separate it. You know, if you want to build something up and make it strong, you put it all together. Yeah, and I think that because we have lost so much food culture, it's just mind-boggling, and you're lucky that, that you had a parent. It's rare in your demographic, Amy, uh, to hear that these days. And I think that you are disconnected, you are untethered, and you are very vulnerable. And we also don't forget that we're living in a very celebrity um, flash shiny flashing light everything perfect on instagram look at me look at me culture that i think we're very drawn to but when you see some of these things you think oh okay he should he knows what he's talking about you know because you've got nothing to reference it to there's no reference point and i think this has been a big issue in things like raw which is arguably the stupidest Seriously, it's just mine, but even my cat could manage to work out that that's just mind-numbingly dumb. Um, so that raw, that paleo, um, and there's been lots, you know, but they've got more and more fractionalised and wild, particularly in the last eight years. So before it was just things like, oh, it was eat right for your blood type, um, Atkins or, you know, they just all sorts, of, mm. all sorts of things. And they've got particularly bad the last, in the last eight years, really fractionalised. But the thing I want to say also about vegan is that my feeling is that, well, I know from when I first got into this industry, and you have to remember that that whole kind of natural, healthy, whole food kind of thing started in the US, particularly coming out of Berkeley, uh, in San Francisco uh, in the 60s, a very massive time, massive shift in the world at that time. And look, and I know Frances Morlappe, who wrote that book, Diet for a Small Planet, uh, she feels the same, is that I think it was the only way that we knew as a generation back then to say, 
everything's not well. You know, the industrialization of farming animals and feeding them grain, and, and which was the core aspect of her book, her seminal book, Diet for a Small Planet. And I think we just reacted as you do when you're young and we're like, oh, that's really bad. You know, dairy is bad. It's coming from these animals that are eating grain. It's, you know, they're living in terrible conditions. Whereas now what we really more understand, having lived more years and been exposed and understood a lot more of, of the whole thing is that that's not the way that cows should live anyway or any animal should live. And they're not eating the right food they're meant to be eating, et cetera, or anything. And I think it was the only way we knew. And I also think that energetically, and this is why I love Ayurveda so much, and we need to remember that Chinese uh, medicine, Tibetan medicine, Greek medicine, all come out of Ayurveda. And Ayurveda is about the L, about when we are on the earth plane, we, there are elemental forces which run the earth plane, including you, including our bodies. And, and these elemental forces never stand still. That's why we have seasons. We have outward expansive energy that moves upwards. It reaches a tipping point and then it moves back downwards. It reaches a tipping point and it moves back upwards. Yeah, it's a cycle. And that's the natural forces, the energetic forces as well, moving on the earth plane. They never, when they reach a tipping point, they start moving in the opposite direction. That's the one and one equal to physics of it. And I think what happened in the 60s with the big vegetarian movement, of which I was a part, um, was us as a generation saying everything is not all well, plus that energetic force moving from a really out of whack way we were starting to farm. Yeah, we were after the world after the war in the United States, we were farming with chemicals that were used from the war. Um, so many things discovered during the war, and we were farming food, we were destroying the soil, um, all sorts of things. So we were in a very expanded kind of state and I think that what happened is things tipped and started moving in the opposite direction. And I think what's happening now, I think what's happening with this rise in the, in the vegan movement over the last particularly five years is I think that it's, or my feeling is it's this generation going, whoa, this is not right and nothing has been right. Things are bad. Yeah, things have been very bad for about particularly the last eight years. Um, and whilst there is a great movement back towards organic, biodynamic, whatever they're going to call it, most recent one is regen, regenerative farming, wide open, and it's all awesome. But it's not a lot of what's happening when you really look. Yeah. And... You know, whereas maybe 15 years ago or 10 years ago, a biscuit might have been made that you bought in the supermarket from wheat, flour, sugar, maybe palm oil, which is a stable fat anyway. But, you know, we have to forget the ethicality just for a minute, which we never forget ethicality, but nonetheless. Now, it's mostly, it's mostly numbers and chemicals in a laboratory, and that's happened very massively in the past 10 years. Not many people are cooking. Our food has come from worse soils. 
Um, so I think all these things that we, and you usually see this kind of rise in a younger generation. And I, I love the younger generation, but I also know that, that one of the things I love about being 66 and being involved in this industry for so long is that you get to see a broader lay of the land and have deeper understandings. And, you know, that's not the answer, yeah? Um, you know, and we could have a whole discussion about that, but probably that's not where we're going um, on vegetarian, vegan versus omnivore diet. And I'm definitely uh, for people to respect. But if anyone thinks for two seconds flat that eating a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet is more ethical, <laughs> you are sadly mistaken. Um, it's not more sustainable. It's not more ethical. But anyway, apart from that, so I think we've got two really big things going on here. I think we're at a point where we're seeing the younger generation going, oh, things are not right. And I think what we're seeing with this whole COVID situation, apart from the very obvious fact that it's, it's a novel bug, it's a novel virus, is it staggering? There was, we were very expanded as a society. Yeah, very expanded and and. I've just been marvelling at it for the last three years. And my colleague, Holly Davis in Sydney, is just mind-boggling. I'm like, Holly, this is not sustainable. You know, it's just we're so expanded. And what's happened? We have just had a massive Mack truck come. And I think we reached a tipping point energetically is my feeling. I certainly agree. And, you know, uh, uh, so to give you some context, I and have I and my husband, we are a vegetarian household and we have been for many years. Yeah. And it's it was a very natural thing for me because I grew up never actually just really liking meat. So I, it wasn't a major well, decision. I just don't think I'm, I'm – I absolutely respect everybody's choices. Well, that leads me to the point, you know, in Ayurveda people – so I am an Ayurvedic practitioner and I have people come to me assuming that they have to eat vegetarian. And I say, no, 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 these principles apply to all food choices and all paths. And I yeah, agree with yeah. you that this is – you know, this vegan movement is a very passionate response to, you know, saying things are not right and things are not okay, yeah. but I don't think it's as black and white as perhaps we make it out to be. And we also have to think of ourselves first, constitutionally, what we need. And if we, are, if we are not well, if we are not well, we can't save this planet anyway. So we need to take care of ourselves first and foremost. And I think that seasons of eating as well. It's like, and, and the different Ayurvedic kind of constitutions, it's like, I don't eat a lot of meat. But when I eat it, I make sure it's the most ethical and sustainable I can find. But I really do well with legumes and pulses. I've got a great digestion, a very barter. Um, but I love that. And I don't have a problem with those. But I really, um, and I think there are different seasons of your life as well. Um, where sometimes we require more maybe or, or some people will require more meat than others, yeah? I think particularly women, and I do have a lot of clients come to me who have become vegan and they're afraid to go back to inviting, yeah. you know, meat broth or Terrified. bone broth in because of the identification association to this label. And I think it's really important to get rid of the labels and just focus on what we eat, what we can digest and the quality of our food, which comes back to critical time and time again, seasonal eating and, and supporting critical farmers local farmers supporting farmers and i tell you what it's what everybody's finding out right now is we need to support our farmers 
<laughs> well, and when international borders are closed, we really realise how important it is to support our farmers, you know, within exactly. the country and locally yep. to be able to access food, which is the yeah. most important thing, you know, and growing our own <laughs> exactly. in the backyard. Um, but I'd love to ask you, Jude, um, on the note of farmers, how do you feel we can most easily honour our local farmers and their produce and the local environment through our food choices? How can we do this? Look, I think, number one, that we have to accept that everything to do with food takes a little bit of time and that we have to give priority to that time. Now, I think that's the most critical thing. Sourcing this kind of food takes time, yeah? Going and organising to get it every week takes time. Putting it all away takes time. Working out what you're going to eat with what you've got takes time. It's, I often see that little bit where you, where you hear that like the amount of money that we spend on food is like about a fraction of what it used to be uh, back in the days. But I also think the amount of time we, we give time to everything else except the very thing that is the foundation of everything. You know, it's number one on Maslow's hierarchy of need, food, you know. And as you know, I'm a big believer that that, there are, that the body has physical requirements, you know, our nutrients, our food, and uh, we also have requirements for the soul as well, and they're both equally critically important. We, we don't survive and we don't thrive without both being well-nourished. So, for example... For me, this is my kind of shopping kind of procedure, is when I lived close to the city, I had a great farmer's market that I could go to on a Saturday morning and I could get a, a fairly broad range of from organic, local. Well, local in Perth is a bit of a miss, is, is tricky anyway because <laughs> nothing grows in Perth. It's like it's either going to be in the hills or it's going to be further up a bit north. And so it's pretty much nothing much before two hours. Yeah. Um, and then really getting down to three, four and five hours drive from where you live because that's where the soil is. Yeah. But nonetheless, when I moved an hour away from where I lived further north to the Swan Valley, which is a, got good soil on the flats of the Swan River, um, it took me about a year to resource where I was getting food. But it still requires me now every morning to, on a Saturday morning, I go down to the little tin shed that opens down the road, which is thankfully five minutes drive. And they get food from the Demeter Biodynamic people 40 minutes further up the road. And what's local, and I mean literally local, like, Joe's potatoes and lychees from Jan and Pete's and avocados and and from George who's next door and and they bought some of his lamb to have this little shop and cafe that they do there and George is Greek and he and his five brothers settled there when their parents emigrated to Australia yeah early so they grow you know like they planted all the most amazing things mango trees persimmon trees asparagus garlic so i'm very fortunate in that respect but i also access a box 
from Jane and Peter, which is a 25 minutes drive down the road to Guildford, where they uh, Peter grows veggies on the flats of the Swan River or on the Helena uh, bed creek bed, and I can and Jane's parents have an orchard in the hills where they don't spray, so that's what I used to do, but. All of that changed a few weeks ago. So I kind of had it sussed out nicely and I'd get bulk foods from, um, you know, I'd go to Banara Fresh and get Paris Creek milk, which I really like. I'd go to Flourish and Nourish, which is a bit further, and pick up eggs and I'd, I'd do it in one stream of driving. Do you know what I mean? It takes time, but I do it in very precise. I'm getting in the car, I'm doing this all together. Yeah. But it might, for even me, it's taking me four or five stops, yeah? Now, when all this COVID started, so about my little tin shed down the road accessed beautiful, beautiful and something different produce from a place called Roly Poly Farm, which grows where the soil's really good about three hours, three and a half hours drive south. But they stopped being, I stopped being able to access it there because Roly Poly wanted to do more their own thing and start a CSA. So when all this COVID thing happened, I'm like, what am I going to do? Because Peter, just, he's like, I'm going to close for a while. So I actually have made, uh, I'm doing orders direct with Roly Poly Farm, but my daughter and my niece and I are all joining in and we take turns to go and pick it up, which is at least an hour drive to where their drop-off point is. Because that particular food that they're growing is on great soil and they're growing it organically, even though they're not certified permaculture. It's just amazing. And it's critical, particularly right now, that we're getting the most nutrient-dense and freshest foods possible. Yeah, it's really important for the immune system. So, yeah, I could do other things, but my priority, no matter when it is, COVID or pre-COVID is that I will do what it takes to source that food because it's the basis of everything. And then I do a meal plan for the week um, and that might take some time and that's the Get Organised program. But then that frees me up during the week as well and gives me heaps of time during the week because it's done. And I do that because this is what matters. I think there's a little sub-lesson there too. Uh, from something you mentioned, and that is, is that uh, supporting our local farmers may actually be more nutritious than going to your, your mainstream grocery store and buying something that's certified organic rather than buying something that's not certified organic but just grown down the road. That could actually be far more nutritious as well. It's very much also forming a relationship with the person who grows your food. Critical. Critical, critical, critical. And that's a, a keystone that we talk about in Get Organised. It's like, um, no, in Revive, Restore, Reset right now, it's like these are the core things. It's like, you know, you might not be buying um, um, certified organic food, but I know roly-poly are as good as and maybe right now they can't afford to certify or whatever, but they are producing a lot of really great food and I'm thrilled to be able to get light cheese from Jane and from, let's say, Jan and Bob down the road 
that has had the tree there for ages and because it's a great environment for that tree, it does they don't have to spray it all the time. Um, you know, they're growing things that suit, like mangoes thrive in the Swan Valley. So mangoes and figs and grapes, there's plenty of them and a lot of them aren't sprayed. Um, well, I guess when we're eating seasonally and eating food that is grown in a place where it naturally thrives, there is less need for intervention. But much, and that's another aspect of, of growing food as well, but it's another part of food culture is if you grow something out of season or you grow it in a place in conditions it doesn't like, you're going to have pests. It's just as simple as that. You're going to have, it's not going to be happy. They're like children. You know, you know how long it takes to get to know your child. And then you go, oh, yeah, if I, do, if I take her there, she's going to hate it, you know. Plants are exactly the same. But, yes, yeah, so there's two aspects to that. Food security is really critical and supporting your farmers. But, look, for me here in Perth as well, you're a lot luckier and, and for a lot of the people listening, they might be living in places where you've got great organic food shops like Melbourne. Great, amazing, and well-priced, yeah? Mm. But in Perth, the organic stores tend to, yeah, they have organic food, but it's horrifically priced. And one shop in particular I can think of, which I just refuse from the day they opened to buy fruit and vegetables there, is they will, because they're so expensive, they don't sell, but they keep them there they, and they keep them there and they're rotting and they're dying. And when they're pretty much dead, they put them on a tray and wrap plastic over them and reduce them by 10%. I'm like, seriously? So I just refuse. Mm. Like, I'm sorry, but I can't afford to pay $46 a kilo for apricots in the summer, yeah, or, or $15 for tomatoes. It's just, you know, I just can't do that. Um, so... That's a bit of an issue in Perth. Like I refuse to pay $6 right now a kilo for organic, certified organic pumpkin when it's all cropping right now. $6.90 a kilo. I just refuse to do that. So that's why I, and, and honestly, I prefer to have a relationship with my grower and I prefer to buy it as close to the person who grows it as possible. And that really cultivates a great sense of trust, I have no doubt. It does, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Jude, can I ask you on a bit more of a personal level, um, how, do you, mm, how do you feel that you honour tradition and even your lineage, your family lineage in, in daily life? How does that look to you? Well, it's actually a little bit different right now with the whole separation thing. Um, normally as a family, um, so my close family would be myself, my daughter, so Nessie. Nessie lives about 25 minutes away from me and my niece Kim and my niece Lisa and their dad who's my brother-in-law but I've known since I was about nine. Um, so my brother Pete and my mum because pretty much everybody else was away, you know, like, you know, my brother, you know, like boys just go off and do their life somewhere, you know. And uh, my niece's mum died a few years ago. And 
my other sisters in Brisbane and we've been kind of a family core looking after my mum or looking after each other kind of for a long time now. We always have a family lunch every couple of weeks, often at my niece's, uh, who really loves to cook. And I, that's one of the things I'm really missing at the moment, really missing that. Um, we have morning tea and then, you know, we might bring my niece, but Kim brings her sewing and Lisa's cooking because she loves to cook. And Ness is solving everyone's technical problems um, on their iPads and phones. And, and mum is just happily sitting and doing a little bit of sewing um, as well. And I'm really missing that right now. So what, but what we're doing is we're actually all working together to source food. Uh, and like uh, I've got uh, organic pork, which is really rare in Western Australia organic bacon and eggs from down south. So that's like three and a half hours drive coming up this week and I'll go and pick that up, but I've ordered for each of us. And Easter, my daughter and I had lunch, so we can only have two people inside. So we, can, so we had lunch and we set the table and had a really lovely lunch. But I guess you could say how we're honouring that system was, apart from that, it's pretty much what we always do anyway. We're always very closely connected. We're using the big veggie bed at my niece's place because my beds are going to go under mustard crop this year because they just have to. I've got nematodes in one of them and they need to rest, so I'm going to mustard them. I'm going to look after the, the big veggie bed at Lisa's place. And Nessie yesterday, who had a day off, um, she's actually still working, which is amazing, um, though has a few, quite a few days off. She was over there putting the frame up for the peas. So we're kind of all working together on food, you know? So it's like you're really coming together to create a ritual around maintaining this tradition of just eating well. It's a, look, we all love food, let's face it. And this is a very big aspect of, in a, in, you know, my mum was very dominant in the family and she's a tad, you know, quite Italian. And, um, this eating together and um, and just the food and uh, food is so important and, and being together and yeah in a sense it's 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 not changed we're just expressing it in a different way and we're all kind of my daughter's got a big veggie garden as well and so she's growing brassicas and silver beet and things and then I'm growing at my niece's place potting peas, leeks, because you can't buy potting peas in Perth. They just, farmers don't grow them anymore. And I miss them. So I've got potatoes, carrots, leek, parsnip, potting peas. So I'll grow those at Lisa's place. So we're all kind of supporting each other, I guess, in that way. Mm. And I think that once this weekend's over, where I've got a webinar this weekend, I think next weekend I'll see if that we can't organise to have, Ness and I can't organise to have lunch again and keep that happening. Even though I can't do that with my nieces, I definitely can keep it happening with my daughter and I think it's really important. Um, it's a bit tricky with my mum because she's in a nursing home and she can only have one visitor today, but 
what I'm doing tomorrow afternoon is I'm going to heat up the hot cross buns that I made. I kept two and I'll wrap them in foil and put butter in them and take them down and we'll eat those for afternoon tea. So there's still plenty of cooking going on, don't you worry. <laughs> Actually, we've got quite a few friends uh, from Italy and from India um, and it's just wonderful to see how they really celebrate life through food and the quality of their food and uh how they make their food and it's just part of the part of the process of having a relationship and connection to them it's like food is the central element of maintaining those friendships but the thing is it always has been you look at you know i don't know i'm not saying you look at primal groups people have it's that title of jessica prentice book isn't it you know full moon feast and the subtitle is Food and the Hunger for Connection. It's, it's why Mass, and I'm not a practising Catholic, but it's why Mass is always, or it's wine and bread. Yeah, people have always come together over food. Food is, it's a joyful and delicious and essential part of life. Like, as I said, without it, you die. So. You know, it, it, it is satisfying. It fills your hunger. It, it sustains you. It can be delicious. It nourishes you and it, it, it can comfort you and, and give you joy. And there's nothing wrong with that, though. God knows these days that the world tries its best to make you feel guilty about whether you enjoy food, you know? Yes, marketing, very... Mm very dangerous mm. element of mm. technology today. And on the, on the subject of food, we've talked a lot about food today, but I would love to know what is your favourite meal and favourite food, maybe both? Okay, favourite meal, hands down. I don't have to think about that. Roast lamb, roast potatoes, roast pumpkin, um, steamed green peas. That's why I'm going to grow them this year. I just love green peas because probably they're so rare. Uh Green peas, maybe cauliflower cheese, and Nessie makes the best cauliflower cheese. So hands down, definitely. And for dessert, oh, man, I love dessert, but I don't know. It depends on the season, um, but probably roast lamb's more of a winter dish. I love a sago plum pudding uh, with custard. Um, Mum used to make that a lot in winter when we were little. I love that. But I love a, an apple pie or apple brown betty or lime or lemon delicious or, <laughs> or pumpkin pie. I love pumpkin <laughs> pie. I have a lot of things that I love. But, but last dinner, um, yeah, or, or favourite dinner, roast lamb. Mm. It's, and everything you've mentioned is really simple. Like that's such a classic, you know, your roast veggies and your peas and your lamb. That's just reminds me of my childhood and it's not intimidating at all, you know. Not at all. I adore the fact that you have mentioned dessert as well because this is, it's so important. And we've, I think marketing is, and the, the culture we live in today is just, you know, shuns dessert and it's got to be like a secret thing. And this is why I love your books is because it brings back just really good, simple ingredients to make delightful desserts and and uh and it yeah a guilt-free if you will to enjoy these things in life and that sweet things can be beautiful I just see so I, well I love my hashtag is sweetness is not a dirty word um 
it's like it, I see so many women afraid of food, yeah, these days. But, oh, what did I want to say there? <laughs> it's just completely, oh, that's what I wanted to say. And I, I'm wondering if you see it too. I don't do as much food coaching these days, only with people I'm working with in, in the groups online. And then not to the extent that I used to do, that night when you know everything and look at all the background. But the thing that I would see fairly consistently is this denial of joy in their lives. So, and I'd see a lot of women in crisis. So by crisis, I mean, you know, there's something pretty critical, like cancer or something like that going on, you know. And there was an absolute common thread is this denial of joy um, or that that pudding or, or that whatever it was that they ate that was delicious and gave them joy um, or that experience of doing something they loved or putting themselves first for a moment or stopping and having a rest for a moment this massive denial of that. Um, and I think this is a thread that runs strong in women and I think it's a thread that is out of control in society at this moment. It's like, you know, one of my words that I really loathe is the word hack, okay? And I, God, put whole food hack together and it's just really, it's abysmal. Because what that represents is this, is this don't stop and have a look at why you're so busy. Don't start looking at what's really important in your life and put time to that. No, keep doing everything you're doing. Oh, please, do more too and make sure you're rushing your children around to 20 million after-school activities as well. And can I put in brackets after that? Please don't do that, dear listener. Um, and, and please do more. Oh, and at the same time, it would be perfect for you as a woman who's now at home um, because you've had children after your amazing job, please have an online business as well and have a great Instagram account and look awesome every day as well and post every day and do all these things. Um, um, and so because you're going to be super busy, here's a hack to throw it in. Oh, and why, why are you doing it? Why don't you just chuck up all your food in the blender and 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 blend it up and swallow it, which honestly, the, the, the history of the green smoothie is one of the most hysterical, dumb things I've ever come across in my life. It's just ludicrous. Um, oh, and, and tell you what, we'll save you time. Don't bother having proper protein that your body can actually digest. Chuck in some protein powder. Oh, and because you're vegan and you really want it to taste yummy, chuck in some nutritional yeast at the same time. You know, so <laughs> I got sidetracked on that, but it's like oh, you know, you know, in Ayurveda too, we say don't do the green smoothie because different foods have different assimilation and processing times in the body. So it's not it. It sounds good in theory, and it comes back to also much earlier. You mentioned, you know, the whole raw food thing, and and I I distinctly remember watching Michael Pollan's documentary Cooked, and I thought yes, like the human as humans we evolve because of fire and our capacity to cook food and and that is in ayurveda our digestive fire is where we cook food so it's like it that, that's what i mean by this fractionalization i mean the 
the raw food movement and to a degree um, the uh, green smoothie, which is Victoria Butanko, that came out of a space that considers that given that we're, I think it's something like 94.6% like a chimpanzee, we should, we should be eating like a chimpanzee, which is like, or, or the apes, which is like, it's totally ignoring, a blindingly obvious that we're actually quite patently not, you know, like we don't have the same colon system. And all, anyway, that's another long, massive mm. conversation, but it's just ludicrous and, and based on absolute just nonsense, really. Um, yeah. So I don't know how we started with that, but yeah. <laughs> that's okay. I would love to know, this is a little random, left of field, but what's your favourite sound? I was thinking about that, you know. I think it's the early morning and the magpie song in the morning. Yes. Or, or often every now and then my daughter who's 38 might, might say to me, mummy in a way. But she never calls me mummy now, but she might just say, oh, mummy or something like that. And there's a tone in her voice that's just so lovely. But I think, yeah, there's magpie sound in the morning or magpie song. It's so beautiful. Oh, it is. And if anyone is listening to this podcast episode and you don't live in Australia, you need to come because we have the most magical bird song. And yeah, the early mornings are so beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And I would love to also know what is your daily non negotiable? Cup of tea in the morning when I get up. <laughs> Second, as I say, I'm not much good till I've had two cups of tea. I love my cup of tea. I need a, a bath. I'm a very much a bath girl. It's like it, it's really calming to me and soothing. And I'm very much a routine girl, very vata. You know, I, I've got my, I like a quiet space in the morning when I get up with a cup of tea. I generally meditate after that. Um, but yeah, bath, those two are pretty much non-negotiable. As is morning tea. <laughs> oh, I'm a tea girl, absolutely. Tea girl yeah. big time. No, I mean morning tea, eating, eating. I like oh, something yes. sweet for morning tea. Mm. You know, like not not like pumpkin loaf or scone or something like that. Yes. That reminds me of my uh my nana, so my mum's mum, and every time we were at her house, she'd cook so much and we'd always sit down and have you know yeah. she would have the cup of tea of course literally but we'd have you know morning tea together and it was yes such I love a morning tea gorgeous Big time morning tea fan mm. and uh what would you say is your favorite place it could literally be a city a town or just an environment or however you want to interpret that question oh I love the bush I love the West Australian bush um, I'm not a beach girl. Oh, no, you know where one of my favourite places are? It's Rotnest. <laughs> I love Rotnest. Uh, it's an island off Perth. Uh, it's about an hour in the ferry. Um, probably less than that on the fast ferry. It's a holiday island. I love it. I love it. I just, that's probably the most restorative place for me to go um, is, is 10 days 
at Rocknest. I love it. And the ocean, the beaches there are beautiful. Rotnest in winter is probably my most restorative place. But the other place I really love is New Orleans as well. Um, that's kind of like my soul home. Um, and I'm very, in, my brain works in a different way when I'm there. It's like just kind of downloads. Also. It's just like, whoa, my brain kind of just like switches on fast when I'm there. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, they have some exceptional food in New Orleans. That's my my husband and I were there. I think it was in two thousand six, and my 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 basically my memory of New Orleans is eating and food. It, it, food is, but the food culture is ex- very much intact there. Very much intact. It's not. It, it's very strong. Might be one of the reasons why I love it so much. But very very strong food culture still to this day. And now you obviously do a lot of work. You you have your books uh, and you have a lot of online offerings and courses and, and ways people can learn with you. So would you mind just sharing with the listener what you have coming up and what you have available so they can, yeah, find out how to work with you? What I'm doing is is I don't want to travel as much. I can't travel at the moment. Probably we won't be travelling for quite some time. But I'm really loving the online platform and I've been working towards getting classes up. So currently on the online platform, I have Revive, Restore, Reset and then Get Organised, which are both what I would consider foundation classes. You know, they, they Revive, Restore, Reset runs first, Get Organised runs second. Then the preserving, there's a preserving the season because we've spoken about how critical preserving is and that's up. Uh, Flavour is also up and flavour, interestingly enough, I need to kind of retitle that and that's not available just yet because I need to just do a tweak a few things in it. But that's actually very much looking at the elemental uh, uh, characteristics of taste Ayurvedically and looking at macrobiotics and Chinese um, Chinese five element theory in regards to how you develop flavor and balance flavor. Yeah. It's like, it's so, I love Ayurveda. It's like, it's, it's like, what was I saying to someone the other day? Oh, she was asking me what grain she wanted to use a different grain. And I was saying, you know, look, I know that you're quite Vata. So if you're going to have quinoa, which is a very elementally drying grain, you know, it's air ether and um and that's so i'm like you're probably going to want to put a fair bit of ghee or or something like that in it um so yes that's a fascinating but i'll get that one back up shortly and then this year i'm only going to be able to manage one new class because as you can imagine there are lots of classes i want to get up but i'm aiming to start working in about four weeks time on the homemade pantry and have that up so they take a considerable amount of time to create and to get up. Uh, but I'll have that one up this year. And then, I, look, next year I'll, I'll do children and baking. And then my books are available. Um, and I go into a lot of detail in my book, um, in my books. You do, yes. And that's about pretty much where you'll find me these days. So could you, could you share with the listener your website and then also if you're on the, the social media platforms that you're on? My initial website is wholefoodcooking.com.au 
And when I did the Built the Online platform, I actually did an entirely new platform, but you can stick to the, uh, to the online platform from .com.au. Where all my classes are, are wholefoodcookingonlineclasses.com. But even if you go to wholefoodcooking.com.au, there's a big thing there that says take me to, you know, my online classes and, and just jump on over to there. Mm-hmm. You do pop up on occasion on Instagram though, I see. I do. So I do have an Insta- I like Instagram because it's easy. I use Facebook. I use it mostly in groups for the live rounds of the classes that I do. Yeah. Sure. Um, but I love that Instagram now just pops it up onto Facebook anyway. So yes, I try and I'm, I'm on Instagram at least once a week. I'm doing more Insta stories um, at the moment uh, and just taking a, a little video of what I'm doing. It's just time, you know, it's just time. I'd love to be doing Insta stories every day for everybody and showing them how I'm cooking things. I just don't have the time. Um, but that's a great thing in the sense that you haven't been sucked into the vortex of spending all this time online that you could be spending in the kitchen. And that's the paradigm shift, isn't it? It's really important for me to step away from work. Um, very vata. And that's such an, otherwise I can just kind of get in a bit of a, and I, it's not a happy place for me to end up in. So I really try and get out into the garden, have time for other things. Um, and sometimes I don't, but um, but mostly I do. So, yeah, I'm, I, I am definitely at least there once a week on Instagram so you can see what's happening and what I'm doing. Fabulous. Well, dude, it's been such a joy to have you and to have this time with you. I feel incredibly grateful for your wisdom and yes it's been magical it's you know it's just it's just you live a long time in one particular thing and I love that I love that and I just love being able to share it as well because you know as you know Amy and and as you help your clients it's like these things make a difference they make a big difference when you can get just these basics in a row big big transformations happen Mm. And sometimes it's the simplest things. Simplest things, exactly, exactly. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so lovely to talk to you there in Newcastle. To everybody that's listening, it's really lovely to meet you as well. Um, Thank you for inviting me into your home today. It's been really lovely. I hope you've been enjoying this with a cup of tea as I've had my cup of tea. (laughs) Yes. You might have a herbal tea or a coffee. (laughs) Tea time such an important ritual of self-care absolutely it stops you i think stops you and just moves your focus which is really important yes definitely well thank you so much again pleasure pleasure amy thank you if this episode was of value to you and your life please subscribe and if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue please do them a favor and send it their way if you feel called Hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community, to those who need it most. You can find me at amyelandry.com or over on Instagram at amyelandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment.